0: Kill the rat. Kill the rat. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt and before I say anything else I would just like to start by acknowledging that I am speaking for Bland's whose traditional custodians are the noongar people and now i shall slide slither jump prance dance and all around take a chance on you my all
1: all at the same time
0: all at the same time i'm a multi-skilled man baby
1: heck that's impressive
0: all right who the hell are you (laughs)
1: Who the hell am I? Who the hell
0: are you? You
1: can't just go around asking people who the hell they are. Why not? How else do you meet
0: new people?
1: I don't know. I'll let you know when I figure it out. (laughs) Um, But for the moment, let's just go with the fact that I'm Kate. I guess that's my name. I've heard. Mm -hmm. I've been told up Mm -hmm. until this point in my life. Um, I am, in fact, a neuroscientist. I am uh, doing my PhD in addiction neuroscience. For those of you who haven't listened to the show before and don't know who I am. Um, And I am the regular scientist on this show. I like to talk about all sorts of science, uh, not just that of the brain kind, as you'll see today. It's not what I'm talking about, um, but I would like to acknowledge that I am recording from lands traditionally owned by the Wawandari people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respect. I am very glad to be able to learn about science, teach science, do science on the land that, you know... The first scientists, the Indigenous Australians, were also doing some incredible science on. So today... Today, you've got no idea
0: what we're about, about, do you, Matt? Absolutely no clue. We're back in for another classic, Kate and Matt. No guests, just the two of us. A scientist informing Mm. a science enthusiast about some science. But you, unlike some episodes, you haven't given me any pretense as to what the topic of today is. So,
1: okay, I'm going to start by saying today today's episode was actually inspired by the show's logo. So, you know, quick little, (laughs) quick little shout out to Steph. He doesn't know that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Um, if you've ever seen like any of our social media or even actually like on podcast apps, right? The, like the logo of the, the rat with the lab coat and the crazy, you know, that stunning artwork, which you've probably seen on our social media, Matt and I both have tattooed on our bodies because we love it that much. Um, That was designed by the wonderful Steph, who, Mm -hmm. you know, check out Steph underscore tattoo underscore artist on Instagram, which I will definitely link down in the description. And if you happen to be in good old Perth, Western Australia, go get a cheeky tattoo from him. Mm-hmm. He's done so many of my tattoos. Uh, very big endorsement from me, and that's as close to an ad as you're ever going to get on this
0: show. But, I think they've done know. about ninety percent of the tattoos on me. Um, the only ones that I've <laughs> yeah, got that haven't uh, been done by quite them that are many like
1: on me. But I have many um,
0: little home job tattoos and Tattoo Expo tattoos are the only tattoos I have that weren't done by this person. So. Definitely go check them yep. out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, We love Steph. He's a legend.
0: But... So what about a rat that's getting drunk off chemicals um, has got to do with our podcast? Well, we don't necessarily way.
1: know that it's getting drunk, but he's definitely getting like... You know, ...worn in out. And So like, look, I bring it up because the brief that we gave Steph when we were like, hey, mate, we want you to draw us a logo because you're a stunning artist and... It meets our vibe. But, like, the brief that we gave was that, you know, the show is called Curiosity Killed the Rat. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a play on the whole, like, lab rat concept. Mm -hmm. But the pitch for this artwork is that the rat is the scientist who is absolutely overworking himself to the point of near death, like, Mm -hmm. driven only by his insatiable curiosity, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, a play on this lab rat concept. But also... Almost a subtle dig at the work culture of academia um, and how often, you know, getting results are prioritised over a healthy work-life battle. Like Honestly, boring, I would even self-care. argue
0: not just work culture of academia but our capitalist society as a whole. Oh,
1: absolutely. Um, but, you know, conversations with... <laughs> but not Sophie to get like, yeah, I, I know enough PhD students to know what to model this off. I was like, this is modelled off me, isn't it? This is mm-hmm. the, you know. And I, like... I joke because I'm terrible at self-care, but I stand by the emphasis on self-care. No more experiment is more important than your health and well-being. Mm -hmm. That is the message that I do want people to know and think and believe and take home. However, 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 However. no experiment is more important than your health, blah, 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 however, 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 however. That said, there are always exceptions, and there are always going to be people who absolutely don't care that that's good wisdom and so they go and do some batshit mad thing in the name of science anyway mm-hmm. um, and today I want to talk about one of these mad lads in particular um, who was thankfully not killed by his curiosity and actually came out of the whole shebang with a Nobel Prize we're talking about some
0: true mad science here
1: so we're talking about some true mad science we're talking okay. about you know, the, the the lab rat being the scientist or the scientist literally being his own lab rat, uh, but not being killed by it. It it all has a happy ending. Okay. Um. So if you don't, if you don't, if you, sorry, if you already do know this story, please don't spoil it. Okay. Um. But I am curious, Matt, have you heard of Barry J. Marshall?
0: That name is not ringing any bells in my noggin. I may have heard the story, no, but I don't know the name. The name isn't, the name... I do not remember the name, unlike Fort Minor.
1: Okay. Well, you clearly, first of all, you clearly didn't go to UWA because there is a Barry J. Marshall Library at UWA where I spent many hours studying uh, in my undergrad. But like also, so, you know, Barry J. Marshall Library, being the mature young adults that teenage university students are, Mm -hmm. like it frequently got called the BJ Library. And <laughs> I never witnessed it myself, but I have heard tales of people taking that I name mean, literally. Look. And like, honestly, I'm not even remotely surprised, so I don't feel bad saying that. Um.
0: University <laughs> is a thing that exists, and most people that go to it are young. And yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So he hasn't. He has a library named at UWA, and that's because good old Barry is. A, he's a local West Aussie. He's a Western oh. Australian. Oh.
0: Represent Um, bloke. We're a proud lot, us West Aussies. A lot of lot of isolationist pride over the rest of the country.
1: Yeah, no, I and that's why I have a feeling you are going to froth (laughs) this whole tale. You're gonna Mm -hmm. love this. Um, so yeah. Barry J. Marshall. Yeah. In combination with Professor J. Robin Warren, who will come up again later, um, and who also, by the way, has a library at UWA named after him that I also studied in. But anyway. Warren and Marshall won the 2005 Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what for just yet.
0: Oh, a bit of mystery.
1: I'm going I'm to give you some important, yeah, some important background knowledge on on Baza. I don't know if I should call him Baza. Um, eh. He is still alive, and I don't know if that's his <laughs> preferred name. I should call him Barry. Okay. Um, but... He grew up in Kalgoorlie. So, for oh. those of you not familiar with Australia, that's like, you know, what is it, about 600 kilometres like, inland tell you from that. Perth?
0: Yeah, um, I, I couldn't tell you yeah, the distance. Yeah, it's like east to
1: northeast, kind of about, about east, 600 days inland. North,
0: um, west, east.
1: East inland. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's east from Perth.
0: It's kind of like, I don't know, if you know where Esperance is, it's an hour or two north of Esperance. So you go, you know quite eastward like and the up little north, more, but
1: like it's yeah it's bang, smack smack bang in the middle of like southern western australia yeah. um and yeah so he grew up there mostly like as a kid and then he moved up to perth as a teenager mm-hmm. um and he did his medical degree at uwa um which yeah, right. is you know there's a there's a library named named after him there
0: the country boy um, went to the city to learn how to science
1: Yeah, pretty much. And like, you know, he, he was the first in his family to get a higher education. So like, look, once I tell you the story, like, you know, those of you listening, if you don't already know it, you'll understand how it makes perfect fucking sense that this guy, um, was a real just middle finger to the elitist and, you know, let's be nepotistic nature of academia and medicine. Um, like I've pardon. known a
0: few. I've if he comes from Cal. I've known a few people from Calguli, and
1: yeah, I can just. It makes it, fucking. It, s- once you hear this story, you'll be like, <laughs> of course, this was like a mad last mad mad lad, fucking West Aussie from Cal. Like absolutely, yep. this fits the bill, and I love it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know as much as i'm like oh the work culture of academia and this guy kind of just doesn't respect his self care like no 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 this guy is is a big middle finger to just like I mean, the entire medicine academia
0: i've i've lived and worked in the country of w not 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 cal pretty close to perth but you know lived Working in a country town the last You're couple of years. You're a country lad. Oh, I don't know if I can call myself that yet. I've heard that in um dwelling up where I'm you currently living switch and working. Into country you lad are. Mode. <laughs> you've got to, you know, you've got to be living there. If you weren't born there, you have to live there for at least 21 years before you can become a local. I um, mean, you were
1: born in you were born in the country. You were born in Wagga Wagga. Oh, Wagga's barely a country
0: town anymore. Let's be real. Um, but yeah, the but point like, back is back when you
1: were born there, it was pretty country.
0: Country folk, they are some of the most hard-working forego all of your own well-being health mental Mm. physical everything to get the job done you know especially like if you're Mm -hmm, raised by mm -hmm. farmers if you're raised by miners that's a very big thing in that culture you work until you drop dead kind of thing and like yeah especially in dwelling up like one of the primary things there is the sawmill there and the majority of the people in dwelling up are missing a few appendages here and there but they still Mm -hmm. go back every other day you know it's that's just that work ethic doesn't surprise me coming from a country boy. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell you
1: this story and you're just going to be like, that makes yeah perfect sense. Um, but before we get there, you mm. know, he is still alive, lives in Perth, um, and is still doing, as far as I'm aware and could find, is still doing some research or running a research center, the Marshall Center, which is based at UWA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking into, I won't spoil it by telling you exactly what, but you know. Mm -hmm. medicine related um i I just have to share this because i thought it was so wholesome he has a blog i found him on twitter and he has a blog and i just wanted to share like so the title of the blog is what i know and what i think i know and then the like subtitle like underneath or like little blurb thing says since i won a prestigious swedish prize in 2005 Mm -hmm. some people have been interested in my opinion my (laughs) opinions are often based on fact but some i just have maybe my mother told me anyway if i feel like venting i may do it here but this is not a very intensive blog just a little bit of news really And then the most recent entry is from November 2020, and it's literally just, like, instructions about how to set up this, like, particular printer scanner with email on an Apple phone, complete with, like, screenshots, and then the hope that, and I quote, it might help save a few hours for those trying. Oh, So it's just, like... That's
0: quite wholesome. The
1: most wholesome shit. And, like, (laughs) the thought definitely occurred to me to, like, reach out to him and see if he wanted to come on the show himself, but then I remembered that, like... I have anxiety and this is a Nobel Prize winning scientist who is probably very, very busy and has done many an interview and podcast before. So I'm just going to draw from those resources and tell the story myself. (laughs) Hey, Maybe
0: later down the Um, line, if I'm feeling less anxious myself, I'll do a live interview with him.
1: (laughs) But, you know, yeah, um, I'll definitely chuck the links to, I listened to a few interviews and stuff with him and chuck all that in the description. Um, But, okay, so old mate Bazza and his (laughs) Nobel Prize. What it to right. get it for? Mm-hmm. Why is it amazing? So first I wanna just take like a few million steps back and quickly yep. talk about the stomach. Okay. So the stomach, as we're all aware, is, you know, a sack, but it's like a like this J shaped organ i'll be honest
0: i'd never perceived the stomach as a sack before but that's exactly what it is it's a little flesh how how do you perceive
1: it? i mean i'm intrigued i don't know it's just i mean mean, it it
0: 100 is a sack that's what it is i just never used that word to describe it before i was just like it is an organ i guess it's a sack in the same way the lungs are sacks you know i mean
1: i guess like what i have written in my notes is j-shaped organ because Mm. that's i think the wording that was used on something i read and I just kind of said sack because that's what I was picturing in my head. Mm. But it's a but, J-shaped yeah. organ sac. But, like, we usually think about it as producing enzymes and acids to break down food so that the, that can pass into your small intestine, yeah. et etc. Et right? But stomachs actually have, like, surprisingly intricate ecosystems, essentially, with, like, heaps of hormones and, and other chemicals. And so, like, as well as food in it the stomach itself is under like constant attack from these digestive enzymes bile proteins microbes and like the stomach's own acid
0: yeah um that's why whenever you take ibuprofen you're meant to eat with it right because otherwise it does mm, something mm. about stripping away the line yeah because eating food is gonna
1: yeah, when you eat food, you're going to get more stomach acid in a response to that food, and then that's mm. protective uh, from the the aspirin and the, or the ibuprofen. Sorry, from like destroying the lining. Yeah. Um, also, in response, like the stomach produces bicarbonate and also like phospholipids to help essentially just maintain the integrity of the lining. Like it, it produces all these sort of like shields and and protective stuff and like this this whole thing is a very delicate balance that's like constantly regulated it's referred to as mucosal defense and it's just like this balance between chemicals protective and harmful and is just Mm -hmm. it's a very you know i don't know i always just thought the stomach was just such a simple little sack of acid it's it's a sack of of acid acid that
0: dissolves your food before the intestine squeezes it into poop
1: Yeah, but, you know, obviously for something like that to exist within your body and not, like, eat itself, uh, there needs to be a whole lot of, like, protective shit in play. Of course. Um, So now, of relevance to today's episode, I want to talk about, it's a group of conditions that are kind of, like, collectively referred to as gastritis, right? Which is just, like inflammation of the stomach lining um so it's when the stomach lining gets inflamed comes along with nausea vomiting uh sometimes it passes or sometimes it develops into a chronic thing that can lead to like stomach ulcers yeah. or eventually stomach cancer
0: okay um i think i had a so stomach a gastrovirus mm. when i was a kid once a rotavirus or something like that put mm. me in the hospital for a bit i have no memory of it really because i was too little but i think that's something that affects kids kids often yeah
1: well i mean like a gastrovirus is different again i guess it's more like a stomach bug that you know um yeah is a bit different to like gastritis just being this sort of inflammation and then like stomach ulcers are actually like sores in the stomach lining so like these really painful sores that like you know or the upper part of the intestine that kind of like you know Open up and and can get really really painful and like they aren't just uncomfortable. If they get bad enough, patients can start bleeding or their stomach can burst. Ooh, like this fuck. shit can be deadly. Yeah, um, usually associated with like nausea, a whole lot of unexplained weight loss. Like not a good time. Um, and. <sighs> Since about the mid-1800s, right, doctors Mm -hmm. thought that stress alone caused most stomach ulcers. I've
0: definitely heard that before, like, stress caused ulcers. Yeah, I was going to say this
1: is a pervasive-ass myth that will not fucking die, right? Is that, like, and it it stems from, like, the 1800s where, like, patients were given antidepressants or tranquilizers and told to visit health spas. And that was the, like, treatment for stomach ulcers, right? And then... Back in the 70s, ulcers were, like, most common in middle-aged men who both smoked and drank. So doctors assumed that ulcers were, like, hugely a product of what they call hard living and, like, you know...
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: The typical advice was, like, slow down, take care with what you put in your body, and also take some antacids because in about the mid-20th century it was widely sort of accepted that also... Sometimes excess hydrochloric acid, so excess stomach acid, prompted the stomach to eat itself and that this would cause the gastritis or the ulcers. So they were that, like to right, me, to it's the labor that's too much stomach acid.
0: That sounds And spicy food or totally plausible, right? Like I mean, if well, people yeah. have been saying for hundreds of years that it's been a result of stress, surely there must be mountains of anecdotal evidence to back that up for it to remain as such a common and a pervasive myth, right? And it,
1: it truly, like, it is something, it's one of those things that, like, was just so accepted as fact that, like... Mm. Just just buckle up. This is barely the beginning of the story. And like, also like the hard so,
0: living, you know, if you smoke and eat like shit and work hard, of course that's going to put strain on your body and to slow down and do good things doesn't seem like poor health advice, generally speaking. No, or not exactly. It's, it's to a good idea pulses. regardless. I can, I but, can see you know, how these ideas definitely, and you know, if you then follow that up with, and it's all true, I'd be like, yep, bet, that makes sense to me. But I sense mm, that that's mm. not where this story is going.
1: No, see, this is this is the thing, because it's like people, it had been the accepted idea for a long time, and it makes a lot of fucking sense. So people had a very hard time letting go of this idea. Um, yeah. The other thing that people had a really hard time letting go of, they used to think that the stomach, due to its very, very high acid content... Um, was sterile. That is completely bacteria-free because there is absolutely no way bacteria could exi- like exist in yeah. that environment, right? <clears throat> like it was literally printed in medical textbooks, like even in the eighties and probably still some like now, right? That bacteria cannot survive in the acidic environment of the stomach, and that you know ulcers are caused by stress or too much stomach acid, and like that that was in medical textbooks like up until fucking at least the eighties, yeah, right? And, you know, credit where credit is due. We have since discovered a rare type of ulcer that is caused by too much stomach acid, but these mm-hmm. make up less than 1% of all ulcers. Yeah, um,
0: okay.
1: But, you know, this was, this was the fucking idea. And, like, people mm. stopped looking for bacteria in the stomach because it was just in textbooks that like, it makes sense. Most bacteria can't mm. survive in hugely acidic environments. So they're like, why even look for bacteria in the stomach? There's no way it could survive.
0: Mm. Um, however. So then,
1: <laughs> however.
0: I think I've, I've let's keep heard going with story enough time. in contemporary Sorry. knowledge that, you know, gut health and gut bacteria is in fact a thing. I do not know to what extent and things like that, but.
1: Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, one thing I will say is that when we talk about, like, the gut microbiome, like, today and stuff which like definitely is getting a lot more attention than it used to that but that's mm. normally sort of referring to bacteria in like the lower intestines like yeah, further true. down the gut not the like super super acidic stomach
0: i guess like, that's at still, least my um i think it's still
1: very rare for a type of bacteria to be able to survive in the stomach. i guess that's just a um,
0: misinterpretation on my part of the word Gut, I understand gut. now more yeah. that gut does mean the intestines and that, but especially when I was a, a kid in that, I just thought gut meant belly meant yeah. stomach because that whole area oh, is your of belly, course. is your tummy, is your stomach, you know, so.
1: Yeah. Oh, I get that. I get that. But yeah, let me keep going with this story because like, heck, Please. we haven't even remotely gotten to the good <laughs> bit
0: yet. Go on. Um, So in
1: 1979, the Australian pathologist, Dr. Robin Warren, um, who was the guy who shared the 2005 Nobel Prize, um, began to question the whole, like, too much acid mm. wisdom. I say wisdom, quote unquote, as though it's, yeah, anyway. Yeah. He was seeing several patients with gastritis and with, like, crippling stomach ulcers. Mm. Um, and during treatment, Warren collected a bunch of samples, um, which he noticed all contained this like very specifically shaped bacteria this bacteria called heliobacter pylori and it seemed to be present in literally every patient that had these like stomach ulcers and he was Hmm. like okay because you can do this thing called an endoscopy use an endoscope which is like a tube a narrow tube you kind of feed it down your throat, down your esophagus. And you can either like with a camera take like images or you can take like a biopsy. So like remove some tissue um, Mm -hmm. and take it out and like examine it and stuff. And like people just weren't looking for bacteria because they believed it couldn't live there. For some reason or another, um, he looked for it and he found it and he was like, oh, heck.
0: Um, We were wrong this whole time.
1: And Well, yeah, he was like, this is interesting. He was like this is intriguing. Mm. This is curious. This doesn't make sense to me. So he also decided that these patients that, you know, had this infection and couldn't uh, sorry, like that had this uh, gastritis. He tried treating them with antibiotics. Um and found that it was effective, like it worked. Antibiotics treated gastritis. Mm. Um and it's like, okay, bacteria and he was like okay okay there is something mm-hmm. here around this time old mate Bazza barry marshall <laughs> uh was training to become a specialist in gastroenterology and he mm-hmm. happened to come into contact with dr warren and like his talk to him about this whole thing and his curiosity was just like set ablaze barry was like yeah i need to figure this mystery out i want to know more i'm 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 in i'm intrigued i'm mm-hmm. like you know in so A beautiful friendship was born. In 1981, uh, Robin Warren and Barry Marshall, they set up a formal study and they found that, yeah, like nearly all of their ulcer patients were infected with this bacteria too. Mm -hmm. They identified this bug as the Heliobacter pylori. They learned how to grow it, how to culture it. So they took little bits from patients and then like grew bigger cultures of it and, you know, formed this hypothesis that it might actually be the reason why people develop these ulcers. It is really, like, important to note at this point that, like, neither Warren or Marshall discovered this bacteria. Like, humanity has been aware of this bacteria since – sorry, since 1893. Okay. Um, and, like, the more Marshall sort of, like, started looking into this, they found a bunch of other, like, largely ignored studies suggesting links between this bacteria and ulcers as early as a paper in 1940 by a cardiologist from Harvard – Dr. Friedberg, and, like, here's some fucking tea for you. It's now widely accepted that if Friedberg had continued with his research into this bacteria and ulcers, he likely would have solved the problem, like, fucking decades before Marshall did. However, Friedberg's boss pressured him to abandon his research in favor of something that would be easier to prove. So that's exactly what he did. And it just got, like, you know... However many lives were lost in that time, like it just got left alone until fucking Warren and Marshall were like, um, like also, also I found that there was a Greek doctor, John Lekoudis, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, he presented his findings that antibiotics eradicated ulcers in 1964. And his evidence was largely ignored because it went against the current consensus. And then in 1968, when Locutus refused to stop treating and curing his patient's stomach ulcers with antibiotics, he was fined and was largely regarded as a quack. So essentially, suggesting ulcers were caused by anything other than stress was like career fucking suicide. Fucking people were so stuck in their ways that like, anyone who was like, um, excuse me, there is actually evidence to suggest that what you're thinking may not be correct, people were like nah but it's in the medical textbooks yo like have you seen Pooh's Grand Adventure and like Rabbit sings this whole song about how like if it says so then it is so
0: I mean I have Um, seen it but a very long time ago I thought it's not
1: fit to think until it's printed in ink if it says so (laughs) so it is very much that Um, yeah So fucking crazy. So that's pretty much like that was, you know, in the like 40s and the 60s. And, but, you know, that was all I could really find of people trying and ignoring it. And then there were, yeah. But once sort of like Warren was like, yeah, no, this is a thing. And he chatted to Marshall and Marshall was like, fucking yes, this is a thing. We're figuring this out. Um, and then they, they started this formal study. They got biopsies from a bunch of patients. Like they had enough to sort of like put something together so that in 1982, uh, Barry Marshall, he presented the idea, the whole hypothesis, um, at the College of Physicians, I can't talk, go on, start a podcast. You can say words. The College (laughs) of Physicians meeting Mm -hmm. at the Royal Perth Hospital and essentially was laughed at. Um, (laughs) like, everyone thought he was mad, like, how could bacteria even survive in the acidic stomach, like... Pretty much, they were like, "This is some flat Earth shit. It just doesn't make sense based on what we think we know, fam." Like, I was I
0: was gonna make a comment about it. It feels counterintuitive, the idea of conservatism in science, when by its nature it feels like the driver of progress and finding new knowledge. But I suppose mm. those safeguards are in place to fight against because they're like, "Well, fuck." Think about you know a lot of the
1: radical anti-scientific things that
0: come around now you you know my first thought jumps to you know the anti-vax movement and stuff like that Mm, and a lot of mm. those ideas that seem almost too progressive that they fly in the face of you know all evidence and scientific knowledge but to them it's like hey we're on the fringe we're the progressive ones so Mm, i don't know mm. i have no real conclusion to this thought it's just you know Progressives versus conservatives in science isn't as yeah. cut and And dry. I mean, like,
1: ultimately, at this point, he did not have enough evidence to yeah. support the hypothesis, right? Like, he just, he just didn't. Um, yeah. Like, it made sense. Like, he had a correlation between finding this bacteria in the stomach of people that had ulcers and gastritis.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: like, you know... He was like, oh, maybe you get gastritis first and then you become infected by the bacteria. Like, you know, chicken mm. or egg. Like, who mm. who the fuck knows? They're just like, there wasn't enough. Yeah. And so, you know, and also like, why hasn't anyone figured this out before if this is the case? And, you mm. know, my answer to that is they stopped looking for bacteria once the consensus became that the stomach couldn't house bacteria. But yep. thankfully, none of this shit stopped Barry. He (laughs) got a gastro job um, at Fremantle Hospital, of all places. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I got my appendix removed there.
1: Well, there you go. Well, this is, you know.
0: A local story. Um,
1: Yeah. And he kept doing some research. What he was trying to, like do well actually and was doing quite successfully is he was experimentally treating patients using antibiotics and so like he was just so convinced of his hypothesis that these bacteria Mm. were causing gastritis and ulcers ulcers because he was getting all these people in that like also they used to do like surgery on people to like remove ulcers and there were people that had like booked Mm. in for surgery and he gave them antibiotics and within like two weeks of being on antibiotics everything had cleared up and they didn't need the surgery anymore like it was just damn this like revolutionary fucking thing and he kept trying to publish papers about it papers kept getting rejected eventually he published one in 1984 and that was just kind of about the association between this bacteria and gastritis there wasn't really any evidence for ulcers just yet um but then in the last line of this paper because like he knew he was close he knew he was right and he knew he was close he wrote um these bacteria might cause gastritis one of the most common diseases in the world and possibly responsible for peptic ulcer and gastric cancer and essentially like barry reckons that that sentence is what locked in the nobel prize uh for him like the fact that he's you know cracked this code but like nah the story just gets so much matter like holy Mm -hmm. fucking shit so like (laughs) this paper was enough to start people getting interested though but it like it still wasn't something that People like, there were a whole bunch of skeptics. A lot of people thinking, yeah, that, like, maybe ulcers led to the bacteria or whatever. Like, he still needed more proof. He got a paper out there, but he needed more for anyone to, like, take him seriously. Um... And, like, at this point, he's been trying for, like, fucking ages to get a successful animal model up and running. Um, And he'd been trying to use pigs. He had a program at the Royal Perth Hospital where apparently he had, like, three or four piglets. And, like, every Mm -hmm. week they'd grow up this bacteria, this H. pylori, and they would feed it to the pigs um barry would like he'd wait a couple of weeks and he'd go in he'd do an endoscopy on the pigs um but he never ever found the heliobacter pylori in the pigs um because like pigs are not humans right yeah and they're just immune and like it makes sense because like to survive in a pig's diet like think about a pig's diet right you probably need to have have a fucking good immune system yeah um and so what what likely the case is, is that pigs just have a fucking good immune system and they can't get Mm. infected by this bacteria like humans can. And then the problem he ran into was that, like, once the pigs passed a certain age, they were too big to fit the endoscope into and were essentially just, like, useless as a model. So he'd just been, like, trying, he used all this funding and just had been so unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. And, like, it was just, you know, it was looking pretty fucking hopeless at this point. But, like, he, he really really wants to prove this like and and like not just because his ego wants to be right and he wants to prove a point but because if he was right and this bacteria is causing like stomach ulcers Mm -hmm. then treatment for ulcer disease would be like literally revolutionized it would be simple it would be cheap it would be a cure means people wouldn't have to get
0: such invasive surgery where people get their stomachs cut into to treat something you know
1: Um, and like, in his words, he was like, for the sake of the patients, this research has Mm. to be fast tracked. And like, what he really needed was humans. He needed a human volunteer, a human volunteer to consume this bacteria and see if it causes stomach ulcers. I feel like I can tell
0: where this story is going to go. I mean, it's a very
1: big ask, right? Like, how do you pitch this to someone? Like, come drink some bacteria for me to do science. Um, Mm -hmm. well, look. Okay, I heard an interview with him, and this is a direct quote, and I'm just going to read it out because, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I discussed it sort of hypothetically with my bosses to see, mm-hmm. like, which way the wind was blowing. And at that point, I decided, well, you know, I can't guarantee that they'd let me do it. So I didn't really tell anyone what I was going to do <laughs> or when I was going to do it, but I decided I was going to drink the bacteria. hmm Mm-hmm. and so he does he yep. fucking does it himself so first first he gets an endoscopy right so that you know they thread the small tube down the throat and take yep. samples of your esophagus stomach and uh so forth
0: and which this is more sounds from this interview which I listened to personally getting something shoved down my throat like that no thanks my gag reflex yeah, well, would not I mean, handle
1: I think I think you do it under some level of anesthetic um mm. but I'm not I'm not certain of that to be honest um mm. But I've got more from the interview that's just like a cracker. I just, I will link Mm -hmm. this below. But like, so to get this like baseline reading endoscopy to, you know, make sure he doesn't have this bacteria or ulcers or anything already, right? Apparently he went up to his old boss or like his boss at the time and was like, uh, hey Ian, I, uh, I I need some normal control material. Can you, can you do an endoscopy on me? And so like this guy laid him down on the bed, did the, Mm -hmm. did the scope and then goes, Barry. I don't know why you asked me to do this, and I don't want you to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> like, he obviously knew something was up. Like he yep. was like, "Yeah, this is some shady shit." But sure, but do- I'd like you know plausible deniability, please and thanks. Uh, yep. <laughs> but anyway, yep. this endoscopy showed that Barry was completely normal. Nothing in the mm-hmm. stomach, no ulcers, no H. pylori bacteria, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. So, at the time, Marshall was still working as a gastroenterologist, and he had a patient with gastritis, and he Mm -hmm. had samples of the bacteria from this patient. He also successfully cured this patient using this, like, specific combination of antibacteria- uh, antibacteria, Mm -hmm. sorry, antibiotics. So, apparently, like, old mate Barry's thinking was like, well, if I use this particular strain, worst Mm -hmm. case scenario is I get an ulcer, and then probably I can cure it. Um... (laughs) So, oh. on the 12th of June, about a month after this, like, big paper came out in 1984, he, uh, mm-hmm. mix- mixed up a bunch of this H. pylori that he got mm-hmm. from this sick patient, uh, into a cup of beef broth and drank mm-hmm. it at about 10 a.m., um, hmm. as you do. Yep. Apparently, he didn't expect anything to happen for, like, weeks or months, but he started yeah. noticing effects, like, within a few days. Oh, So, shit. like for the next few days he describes that was some sort of like strange gurgling noises and that he started feeling this feeling of like fullness after a big meal, but without mm. having actually eaten anything.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, this kind of like, you know, which is a common symptom of a uh, stomach ulcers by the oh. way. Um, then at about day eight to day 12, approximately, he woke oh. up vomiting at the crack of dawn Um, but he was just like vomiting up water. Like he digested his food and the stomach was like, there was no food in the stomach. It was just full of this like watery stuff. But interestingly, like clear without any acid in it. And so like being the typical fucking scientist, he remarks that his biggest frustration was being half asleep and flushing the vomit down the toilet instead of saving (laughs) a sample to analyze because (laughs) of course.
0: Because scientists.
1: Um, which is so fucking funny. Um, and then at about day 10, he had another endoscopy, mm-hmm. which showed heavy, heavy colonization of this Heliobacter pylori, um, which is like the famous mm. picture that appeared in like medical journals, etc., cetera, et cetera, And like he was fucking stoked because this helped prove his hypothesis re-causing it causing gastritis. Mm-hmm. So uh, the story then goes, he went, <laughs> he went home to his wife and he's like, guess what? And she's like, what and he's like i drank the bacteria and i'm infected isn't it great <laughs> and like at this point like she was convinced by his hypothesis that this bacteria hmm. caused ul- ulcers right like mm-hmm. she was aware of his work she knew yeah. what this meant um and so like he kind of went for the he knew she wouldn't approve and kind of went for the whole like beg forgiveness not ask permission approach yeah so like As you'd expect, she kind of lost her shit. And then also, apparently, she'd like just had a car accident too. So, had like whiplash and a broken rib. And this guy just like really picked his fucking moment to break the news to her. And like, they had kids. The poor fucking wife. Oh uh, my
0: God. (laughs) yeah like just sitting
1: there with a broken rib whiplash having just had a car accident your fucking husband comes home being like hey love guess what i've done i've just like drunk this dangerous bacteria and possibly given myself a deadly stomach ulcer have fun with the kids lol um (laughs) apparently she was essentially like no this experiment is fucking done like start antibiotics within like the next five minutes or you're out of here um i mean surely by that point
0: he's proven enough right (laughs)
1: Well, apparently they then, like, negotiated that he could wait three more days for a follow-up endoscopy and then would start antibiotics, which is what he did. But, like, yeah, he essentially, he went on the antibiotics, he was cured. Um, It's a misconception that he actually ever got ulcers. He never developed ulcers, but he certainly did develop the gastritis, which is the precursor, and show, like, a strong colonization of the H. pylori in his stomach. So, like, regardless, the whole shebang was more than enough to demonstrate that this H. pylori, like, wasn't just along for the ride, like, it was yeah. the fucking problem. Yeah. Um. Like, the bug was attacking the stomach, li- stomach lining, like, opening up that tissue to more damage, essentially, from all the natural acid and shit sloshing around in your stomach. Yeah. Um. We now know that this can also be made worse by things like smoking and stress, etc., mm-hmm. which is, you know, why it seems like people with less than ideal health records or stressful lives were more susceptible. But, like, without H. pylori... Most people would never get Probably still
0: believe that. Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah. But, like, of course, uh, this wasn't the end of it. It's still after this, like, 1984. Like, because remember, he didn't win the Nobel Prize till 2005, right? Oh, true. he drank the bacteria. It still took some time and some publicity uh, for the results of this research to be like really noticed and respected by the wider medical community. Yeah, where like so like even into the early 1990s, after curing numerous people of ulcers, publishing mm-hmm. several papers, apparently there were still heaps of people in the medical field that like scoffed at Marshall and even outright accused him of pushing snake oil like treat onto their patients through the media because of course the media was like fucking frothing this battle that Marshall was waging like you know it was like I mean, Marshall versus the medical community like is he a con is he legit you know cuz I mean I, apparently I understand was like a whole
0: thing you know backlash against people with revolutionary new ideas and things in medicine again that idea of snake oil and again bringing some mm. modern examples of you know covid treatments and anti-vax and if you get mm, someone pushing against that i definitely exactly like my my gut and and it's probably a good thing to have a level of skepticism in the scientific world and that but there are results that he's backing it up with there's proof there's several
1: several uh, fucking fucking like unless am i wrong do do there seem to be any
0: like you know, in comparison to fucking ivermectin or straight up, mm. you know, intravenous bleach, what <sighs> are there many negative side effects to taking antibiotics as a treatment for this? That well, I mean, make yes, this harmful. You don't want you, know?
1: you don't want to overuse antibiotics as a basic rule of thumb because you can. That's how you end up with like. Antibiotic resistance, and that can be a whole thing, and that's why you're told, like, if you start a course of antibiotics, make sure you f- finish the whole thing, even if you start feeling better. Mm. Like, it is there is a whole thing there yeah. that I don't have time to to go into this episode. But like, so I
0: wonder how much of it is the, a lot of you know uh, uh, th- th- this kind of elitist medical conservatism, and how much of it is a healthy healthy amount of scientific skepticism. Well,
1: a lot of the problem in this particular scenario is that like. When he first did the whole like I'm a fucking drink the bacteria like a mm. mad lad, like the first sort of people to report that to like the wider community was like people don't read scientific journals. People didn't read the paper Absolutely. He published. Not. No, it got picked up by a fucking trashy tabloid, new, like, magazine, newspaper thing about this, like, crazed Australian scientist who drank mm. bacteria to prove a point. And, like, that was the first place any of this sort of got its publicity and traction. Yeah, okay. And so it's always sort of been tarnished by this whole, like, well, these sorts of tabloids post lies. They post bullshit. They don't post, they don't. Uh, print, sorry, it wasn't posted The time. It was like, you know, printed yeah. magazines back in the day. Um, they don't print reputable shit. They print celebrity lies and slander, right? Yeah. And so that kind of like so they it just picked wasn't... up on this story and it kind of, that didn't help, unfortunately. Mm. It kind of led to that especially like of, fucking
0: like, old mate baza from Cal drinks a vial of bacteria and now he reckons he has the cure that goes mm. against hundreds of years of scientific knowledge fuck right, this guy! Exactly. i'm not gonna listen to him fucking you know this like, tabloid's i can empathize with it. that yeah. but
1: then like the what ended up happening right is it like you know these patients predominantly did end up cured and so that eventually won more and more People over because they were like yeah. seeing that, like, the proof like, is in the is pudding. actually working. And then yeah. finally, it all kind of came to a head in 1994 when the National Institute of Health and so the NIH held a <clears> two day <throat> summit in Washington, D.C. over the matter. And they could no longer ignore the evidence. And at the end of the summit, they released a statement saying that the key to treatment of duodenal and gastric ulcer was the detection and eradication of Heliobacter pylori. So, like, the NIH finally in 94 released this fucking statement being like, look, he's right. Get over it. And so Mm -hmm. from then on, the majority of the medical community kind of had that stamp of approval. So they accepted Marshall's hypothesis. And then, like, 11 years later, you know, in the biggest and best middle finger that one could possibly give the haters, he won the fucking Nobel Prize over it.
0: Hell yeah. Um, It feels like insert. A GIF of Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine going,
1: VINDICATION! Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Ul- the ultimate vindication. And, like, you know, so beyond this as well, like, as more and more people got antibiotics to treat their stomach ulcers, the rate of stomach cancer also plummeted. And so now, mm. as a result of that, the World Health Organization also recognises the H. pylori as a carcinogen. So the same uh. damage the bacteria does to the lining of the stomach with an ulcer can also cause gastric cancer. Answer. so like
0: sense.
1: this discovery is essentially like a massive fucking public health victory fucking like, on your Basil, you know,
0: or barry sorry i don't know Yeah, Cal, i feel like he'd like baza maybe unless he like, wants to um, reject his roots i, I don't know uh, i'll call him barry who knows hey but
1: <laughs> like you know the knowledge that you can treat these problems with antibiotics has saved like so many fucking lives and mm. you know like it sounds nice right to sort of end it there right and be like sum it up all you know nicely we found Tired this dangerous in a nice bacteria burrow, it causes yep. gastritis it causes stomach ulcers and cancer we just need
0: mm-hmm. need to
1: like get rid of that right and live yep. happily ever after the end
0: is there a um, butt?
1: of course there is as per fucking usual i mean we are talking about the uh,
0: digestive system after all of course there's going to be a butt after the stomach <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, but i thought uh, you said uh. this had a happy ending cade what the fuck
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it, it does in a sense, but, like, there's a twist because there's always okay. a twist. Okay. Um, so while most ulcers are, in fact, caused by this H. pylori, most yeah. people with H. pylori don't actually develop ulcers um, and even fewer get cancer. So, like, so many people in the population, like, almost as much as, like, 50% of the population have H. pylori, mm-hmm. um, but only a very small number of those people end up having any issues with it to the point that, okay. like, doctors will only bother testing you for it If it starts to cause problems, not only can it not like, not only though, can it like be just harmless a lot of the time? It can also maybe be helpful because now there's evidence that H. Pylori seems to protect people from developing heartburn and from getting cancer in the esophagus. So like (laughs) scientists aren't entirely sure why the fuck this is the case. Uh, It might be something to do with the bacteria cutting down on acid reflux. You know, uh, they're not sure, but because of fucking course this is the case, the specific strains of H. pylori that are most dangerous to the stomach are the ones that are most protective to the esophagus. Fucking lol.
0: Oh um, So it's all about striking so that like, balance and there being other factors at play that we don't know yet. And it's Yeah, exactly. Et cetera, so it's adnauseum. like, you know,
1: don't necessarily always go with the assumption of, like, let's wipe it out and that's the right call. Oh, um, I was going to make
0: an analogy of it similar to being the appendix – doesn't quite work because the appendix, you know, doesn't necessarily have a use. But in the sense of just because you've got an appendix doesn't mean you should get it out right away. You should only get it out if it causes you issues. Yeah,
1: yeah. I can't think of Um. something
0: that would be analogous to it off the top of my head. But
1: I mean, like, that that also makes sense, Mm. though. Like, you know, it's that same sort of thing where, like, they don't even bother testing for it. Though, like, I was just going to say, like, the only other fun little, like, tidbit that I have about this, like, H. pylori is that... I've been tested for it. Um and the mm. way they test for it is really fucking weird. It's a breath okay. test.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um a breath- like when but- I was having a yeah, when I was having a bunch of stomach issues, um, the doctor tested me for the H. pylori. Um, and it came back negative, but it was like, you'll have to get a breath test. And I was like, I've ne- what like what? I like you know, and you go, I had to get a blood test and a breath test, and it's like from the same thing, you go up to the So it doesn't end up person, in your bloodstream your blood. or something. No, no, so the blood test is not for this. The blood test was to check everything else. They were kind of just, like, trying to tick all the boxes and check for everything um, when they were trying to figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so, essentially, it all comes down to, like, the way H. pylori um, survives this ridiculously acidic environment. Because I keep being like, doesn't make sense that they can survive up until now. Like, they thought bacteria couldn't survive. But it's like, how and why? Like, they do survive, but, like, Mm. how? So they do it because they produce an enzyme called urease. So this enzyme converts water and urea into carbon dioxide and ammonia. So ammonia is basic. you're basic. It's very <laughs> basic. Yeah. Um, so it neutralizes the acidity of the stomach like just around the little bacteria like just enough so that it can survive right yeah. And it, like there's no shortage of urea in the in the stomach. Generally, like it's a n- common byproduct of food metabolism secreted in there and whatever. So, you get this yeah, you get this thing where it's producing ammonia to protect itself from the acidic environment. But then, a byproduct mm-hmm. of that is it's also producing carbon dioxide directly from this urea. So, the breath test what you do is you fast, first of all, for like oh, I can't remember how many hours it was, like whether it was from midnight or whether it was longer um mm-hmm. but essentially it was fasted and then like when i got there the, i had to eat like it was like a little wafer thing dissolve on my tongue body thing and yep. um apparently what it, it's because it's got a special type of urea on it that has a carbon uh-huh. atom. Uh-huh. Pisc- you ate uh, piss urea- sorry. <laughs> sorry i ate piss no urea is in piss but it's not
0: yeah, I know. All that is.
1: Thank you. Um, <laughs> but what they did is, so urea as a molecule has a central carbon atom. atom and okay. that carbon atom can be, like, tagged with something that you can then, like, identify in a lab. And so mm-hmm. I ate this thing with, this, with a special tagged car- carbon atom. And so if there is H. pylori in the stomach, then the urea from the thing that you eat will, like mix with the water that's already in your stomach and be converted into carbon dioxide and ammonia. Now, the carbon mm-hmm. dioxide from this we'll reaction will have, we'll have that little chemical thing. tag oh, on the carbon.
0: That's fun. That CO2
1: then leaves the stomach into the bloodstream, which then travels to the heart. The heart pumps it to the lungs and you and then... exhale that CO2. So I had yep. to eat the thing. I think it was like wait five minutes or something. And then I had to mm-hmm. blow into this. It was like a silver balloon. like, And I had to inflate this balloon. I had to do two of them at different time points after the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And and then yeah the presence of like a chemically tagged co2 in that breath sample would indicate a h pylori infection in the stomach um and I just thought that that was whack because I was like, how is a breath test telling them anything about my stomach and also looking for bacteria? Like, I was like, that's fucking whack. And I was that's researching so it for this. That's so cool. And I was one, like, one, the way that we cool. figure
0: out those methods to do that. And two, the fact that we're able to fucking <clears throat> put a tag on a fucking carbon atom. Like, this shit right? that science can do is crazy. Damn, science, you crazy. Yeah.
1: yeah, I just, I love it. Science, ugh. So good. Mm. So like pretty much that's I don't I don't know what the title of this episode is. Are we talking about H. pylori, stomach ulcers, baza Marshall? But oh, I essentially we'll figure just it out you know, I was inspired by the logo <laughs> yeah. and I was reminded, um of your Funnily enough, I was actually reminded by doing the breath test for the H. Yeah. pylori, and then I was like, how does That's this work? Topic. And I was like, oh, I've heard of Barry Marshall. He's the UWA library guy. I know he won a Nobel Prize. And I was like, Phew. then I just kept reading, and I was like, this is great. This and is you went an down the rabbit this hole. This is, you know, very fitting for this show, I think. Uh, One question and I, I have, I don't know like if it.
0: you've got the, the answer for it or not. H. pylori uh-huh. as a bacteria, how does a person acquire that is that something that you just accidentally ingest from your environment is it something that people are born with some are born with it some without is it a combo of both like am i Um, at risk of consuming it at some point it's
1: an infectious disease essentially like it's an so it's it's got higher rates in um developing countries and stuff it can be passed on through like oral fecal like if you if you get some like um feces or you know uh anal Oral, like very rare cases, apparently oral, oral, it can be passed on. Um, okay. But, you know, sometimes it's just in the environment, like if you eat it, like, you know, he drank it on purpose, but, you know, it can be in your right. environment if you're not in a very clean environment. Um, so
0: wash your damn hands. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> um, maybe disclose your H. pylori status before asking someone to eat your ass. I don't know. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> yeah, Valid. So with or that... Just, I mean, if you're going to ask someone to eat your ass, the courteous thing to do is wash first. Otherwise, I suppose a wash doesn't necessarily get rid of all back to Anyway. Anyway.
1: So with that, shall we shuffle <laughs> along to our listener question? What, you don't uh, want to keep
0: talking about the, you know, etiquette of analingus? I,
1: <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just very aware that the audience of this show includes several family members who probably <laughs> don't want to hear <laughs> us... Siblings continue to discuss this topic with each other.
0: Um, (laughs) That's valid. That is valid. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Let us move (laughs) along then to the listener question.
1: Uh, So this one was fucking great because it made me laugh when I read it. And then I was so very pleasantly surprised by how much of a legitimate answer I was able to find. So buckle up. All oh, right. by the way, should say, almost forgot, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, you too can send us a listener question. We have an email address, curiosityrat at gmail.com, where all of these questions mm-hmm. are emailed in, and I do my best to have a look, find an answer for you, and share it in the most <laughs> entertaining way I can manage. Uh, we we've do got some donors. good ones in there, but please, always send more. So this email reads, "Hey, Caden, Matt. Thanks for creating informative and hilarious content. Oh, thank you.
0: Oh, oh, um, making me blush over here.
1: <laughs> I'm curious how would amphetamines affect a snail? Take all the time you want to. <laughs> Cheers, Birk. <Eric.
0: laughs> I mean, snail, but faster? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you'd think. You'd think, but no. Um, but, like, okay. So, snail like, but when smaller? I got this. <laughs> will be revealed hold on um and like it's really funny because like when i first read this question i was like okay this is this is a thinker like i'm I'm gonna need to do some research first of all on the snail nervous system because i Mm -hmm. don't know heaps about that off the top of my head and then i'm Mm -hmm. gonna need to like apply what i know about amphetamines to sort of like speculate what might happen right there's not gonna be there's not gonna be an answer um And, you know, like, the first interesting thing I found was that, like, snails don't have brains, first of all, or not in the same sort of way that we do. They do have a nervous system, which is centralized to a certain extent, and they do have, like, structures very analogous. Like, they've got several pairs of ganglia, which is, like, what we call a cluster of neurons, sort of connected Mm. by a nerve cord. And, you know, these neurons are responsive to things like serotonin, dopamine. Like, they function very, very similar to human neurons. In there a is lot a, of a bit
0: of a, uh, a meme factoid thing that's gone viral recently about the idea that snails only use two brain cells to make decisions. So a lot of people are going like, haha, same. So Well, it's, interesting, it's actually but they don't three
1: have... and I'll oh, tell you. Oh shit.
0: Okay. Go, uh, on, go on.
1: Because yeah, like this is the thing. Neurons, like snails have neurons and they respond to the same sort of biochemicals as human neurons, so of okay. course, giving meth to a snail is something that has actually been done. Like, <laughs> boy oh boy, no speculation required. I can tell you exactly what the fuck happens, Varrick. Like, I have an actual. They gave answer for meth you.
0: to a snail. Oh, yes. Oh my god.
1: Yes. <laughs> so essentially, snails on meth have sharper memories. So huh. they don't get speedier, but their brains, like, do learn better. And make memories that last much longer, according to a study that was done in 2010. So, in this study, the scientists, they picked pond snails, and they gave the pond snails amphetamine, like the amphetamine crystal meth, to explore memory-related brain processes. Um, Okay you know, which they then said, which ultimately get humans so hooked on the drug. Like, the first article I read about this put it, like, very simply by saying, Mm. human meth users experience sensations of happiness and high self-esteem that make the drug extremely addictive. Scientists Mm -hmm. expect that such cravings may be tied to a powerful pathological memory that makes the drugs high difficult to forget. And, like, Mm. I totally understand this because I often find, like, it helpful to think about addiction as essentially... learning memory disorder and like i'll explain what i mean like you know anyone who's listened to the show and listened to me talk about my own research before will have heard me talk about this to death right but like Mm -hmm. my research relates or some of my research relates exactly to this phenomenon but with alcohol like i've almost definitely talked about the whole context induced relapse phenomenon phenomenon right where like Mm -hmm. context can be enough of a trigger for like these cravings to drive relapse because like when the brain Essentially, when the brain experiences something rewarding, not only Mm -hmm. does it go like, oh, yeah, this is a fucking good feeling, I'm going to remember this. It also, like, makes special effort to take note of, like, where you are, who you're with, like, what does it look like, smell like, sound like, like, any bit of information that will help you figure out how to find and get this good shit again, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that is just so central to, like, what rewarding feelings do to the brain. And, like, this is a huge hurdle in addiction treatments currently and why people so often get sober in rehab and then struggle when they're back out in the quote unquote real world surrounded oh. by all the things that they previously associated you know with their substance use but like <laughs> let me get back on track before hijacking this entirely with my own research <laughs> um because this wasn't actually an addiction study like they weren't trying to get the snails addicted or see if they could replicate any addiction like behavior in these snails they were mm-hmm. just trying to see how meth affected memory formation So, like, pond snails don't have the memory skills of, like, more complicated creatures, but they can still recall experiences and learn from them. And, like I said, these snails use just three neurons to decide, essentially, whether a particular environment it can breathe through its skin or if it needs to extend these little, like, breathing tubes called, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, pneumostones to reach more oxygen, right? Because, like, they're aquatic creatures and, you know, they mostly breathe through their skin get the oxygen there, but if there's not enough oxygen mm-hmm. in the water, they extend these little tubby boys out into the air to get additional oxygen. And they use just these, like, three yep. neurons to, like, make this decision. So during this experiment, this particular study, the researchers, they put these pond snails in tanks. Yeah, Some of them, some of the tanks contained deoxygenated water, and some mm-hmm. of them contained mess laced deoxygenated water. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the low oxygen levels in the water mm-hmm. caused the snails to extend their little tubey boys, and then the researchers poked these little tubes with sticks, essentially, like, irritating the animal and training them not to extend their tubes, yeah. right? So just – they they got conditioned. They learned just, – just breathe through the skin, mate. It's not worth it. You're yeah. going to get poked. Hard no, right? Yeah. So interestingly – The snails that were not exposed to meth seemed to retain their long-term memories of this training for only, like, a few hours, at which point they'd just start raising their tubes again. Like, they'd learn, Mm -hmm. and then very quickly, like, well, a couple hours, they'd forget, right? Yeah. But the snails that were exposed to meth recalled the poking even more than 24 hours later and kept their tubes closed. Like, a whole day later, and they still remembered it. And, like, you know, it isn't totally surprising that memories facilitated by meth persist and like because you know think about amphetamines right beyond just the sort of recreational use and the resulting contextual memory effects that i explained in relation Mm. to like addiction formation amphetamines are used medically with the purpose of like focusing attention like think ritalin or Dexamphetamine to treat adhd like that's what it does but this is where it gets even more interesting again so like the snail memory right like this snail situation the memory only persisted if the snails were tested in the same meth-laced water in which they were trained. The conditioning fucking went out oh. the window if they were tested in different water.
0: Did they So maybe there a is more to
1: do with context than we're realising. Like, yeah. Was like well, a, no, a, like,
0: a, like compared, to, compared to a control, a snail that went in the meth water then went out of the meth water, did it per- perform worse than a snail that never went in the meth water at all? Or did it no. revert back to being
1: it just reverted back normal?
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Um, so you know, realistically, it's important to remember that these snail, quote unquote, brains are like super simple, Nothing and we can't jump to... straight to what this means for humans. Um, yep. but like to answer, you know, Verek didn't ask me about humans. Verek asked me about snails, <laughs> and I'ma tell you, yes. snails on amphetamines have better memories, and there is there scientific go. fucking proof. And I
0: just they, the fact that they did a study on that.
1: I love that I have I and that I will reference it in the description. You can read the paper. It's real. I'm not making this shit up. Um now,
0: what I wonder if is is this a totally random thing that Verek asked and we just happen to have answers. Or did Veric know about this study and just wanted us to talk about the snail meth study mm, on the podcast?
1: Honestly, I don't know <laughs> the answer to that. Either um, way,
0: I'm happy you asked it, Veric. Thank you. But
1: I did not know, and now I do. So, all in all, I'm a stoked person. Uh, <laughs> Hell
0: yeah. Snails Gosh, on meth. What the fuck? What prompted someone to think about that? So, that's at least two instances of people asking about snails on meth. Varick and you- whomever did this study. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they were doing it, they were just looking at the effect of meth on memory formation and it just so happens because of the very, very simple nervous system that snails have and the similarity in the biochemistry that snail neurons and human neurons share. Snails are a very, very good, easy animal model to sort of test things that you can't really test in humans. So just like old mate Marshall drank the bacteria himself, you can't just find humans and start giving them meth to test their memory like that requires some heckin' ethics. Whereas snails... you can do that at that when you're just at that very early basic we just want to figure out on like a molecular biochemical level what this particular substance does to this particular cell to help facilitate this particular behavior or memory formation or whatever like it's just that's what it is like it's not because someone was like i wonder what would happen if a snail (laughs) got access to a bunch of meth like it's it's like a it's a model to then hopefully understand the same process in humans but like, you know, much like I do my research in like mice and rats, not because I care yeah. about rats that are addicted to alcohol, but because I care about humans that are addicted to alcohol. But you got to start somewhere.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that makes so, sense.
1: Yeah. So with that, I think I think that's this episode done. I think mm. we're done for another month. Um, Happy thank days. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you, once again, if you have a listener question, curiosityrat at gmail.com, shoot it through. I love mm-hmm. the fun ones. I love the wacky ones. <laughs> Hit me with them. Uh, if you, well, I mean, if you loved the show, which, of course, you did because you're here uh, and you want to find more of us, you don't follow us on social media already, change that. Find us. We're on <laughs> Twitter at Curiosity rat. We're on Instagram at CuriosityRat. If you go to Facebook, type Curiosity Killed the Rat into that little search bar, you'll see our stunning logo by Steph, and you can follow us there too. And if it so happens that you're someone with money, <coughs> not me, uh, <laughs> and you love the hard work that we put into creating this content for you, we do have a Patreon. Feel free, jump on, give us as little as a dollar a month, and we will be beyond stoked to keep bringing this information for you because. I don't know, these stories deserve to be shared. Fucking Absolutely. Marshall won a Nobel Prize, but he's not getting the West Aussie respect he deserves for, like,
0: Absolutely downing
1: not. a cup of fucking bacteria. Like, you know, That's I need just more a of Tuesday my friends know for about us.
0: this. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel we've all accidentally downed a, a bunch of that bacteria every time we've done a shoey at a party. But, you know,
1: exactly, this time this we, 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 to we be wrote shared. it on paper, so... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, yikes, yikes, yakas. Oh, with that, we'll catch you next time, crew. Peace out. Bye.
0: Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity.
1: Kill the rat.